Welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based upon being outside. I'm your host, Lisa Slagle, and I own an outrageously fun creative agency called Wheelie Creative. Most people just call it Wheelie. And even though we've been in business for almost 10 years, I like to describe it as a new school creative agency for people who thrive outside. I also own a company called Wheelhouse Workshops, which put on action sports photography workshops for women to help encourage more perspective behind the lens to help tell a bigger story of our industry. Check them out at wheelhouseworkshops.com. Today, I am talking to Victoria Hunt. She is a field rep for Specialized Bikes, and the first time I met Victoria was at a Rome events retreat in Whitefish, and um, at the Whitefish Bike Retreat, and she filled up her truck with a tarp in the back of the truck, so it filled up like a hot tub, and then we filled it with women, and um, it was so much fun. Victoria is an excellent mountain biker, an excellent person, and just a really, really smart person. So we talk about mountain biking and uh, barriers to entry and making sure mountain biking is accessible to everyone and building a community around it. So uh, Victoria has a lot of cool things to say about biking and, I don't know, getting people stoked on bikes. So I think there's a lot of good takeaways I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as Victoria and I enjoyed talking. So Victoria, first of all, where are you coming from today and uh, what's your setting like? Tell us, uh, you know, where you're at. Um, I'm currently sitting in my house in Austin, Texas. What's going on in Austin these days? Um, It's rainy. It's doom and gloom at the moment. It's very hot. Nothing super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Nice. Sorry. Um, so, Victoria, I first met you at the Whitefish Bike Retreat um, in association with Specialized and Rome Retreats. And um, that was outrageous. You were a really fun person to me like hitting jumps and being all wild and fun um so (laughs) how uh how has your life changed since then because you were in salt lake and then you just made a big move to texas uh i don't think the wild and crazy randomly hitting jumps part has changed um however yeah where i'm living has changed and my job actually i think has changed twice since then because i was a inside rep at that time and then moved into a business development role and then now have become a field rep. So I don't know what sort of degrees of change we would say that is, but it's a lot, but I still like to hit jumps and be wild. (laughs) That, that canned wine got everyone that day. Yeah, that was definitely that and turning the, the truck into a pool, I feel like really got everybody pretty lit. Oh, yeah, that was exciting. Um, Yeah, so tell us about yourself and kind of where you came from and how you ended up where you are today. Um, Well, I originally came from Tucson, 
Arizona, um, where I went to school and grew up and did that whole bit, um, was kind of on the path to stay within a medical career for the rest of my life and had what my mom lovingly refers to as a quarter life crisis and decided that the outdoor industry was a much happier, fun place to be and thought I'd take a little bit of a hiatus from medicine. And here we are almost four years later, and I haven't really looked back at the medical field. Wow. Were you planning to be a doctor? Yeah. um, That was the end goal was to become a trauma physician. Oh, wow. Which, you know, I think you would have been good at that, but I'm excited that you're in the bike industry (laughs) helping people get on bikes. me too. You and me both. I could see you as a trauma physician, though, just like getting shit done that needs to get done. Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I had been in the medical field doing various stuff, uh, interning, teaching EMT students, and doing all that sort of stuff, and was, yeah, very good at it, because I could pretty much just take care of a situation and then be done with it. I never wanted to work with, like, patients long-term. I wanted the kind of chaos and excitement and then, you know, move on. Was there like a specific moment or something that happened where you were like, nope, I'm, I'm changing it up? Um, I think when I was right about to graduate, I, I was in my last semester and I had this moment of looking at what the next seven years of my life was going to be dedicated to and got goosebumps just thinking like, I'm going to finish school and residency in seven years and I'm going to be broke, and I'm going to be working a million hours a week, and I'm not going to be doing anything I want to be doing. And then <laughs> decided that was not where I wanted to be in seven years. And then your mountain bike just looked awesome in the corner of the room, and you were like, yep. <laughs> well, I wasn't even that much of a mountain biker at that point. I was actually working as a rock climbing guide for like fun and doing a ton of rock climbing and started riding to get more in shape for rock climbing and then realized that I liked cycling a lot more than I liked rock climbing. Really? Yeah, it's there's a it's a weird story. <laughs> That's funny. I do not like climbing because I like to play with gravity and climbing you're always going against gravity. Yeah, but for me like I I like to solve problems. And so for me, rock climbing is like physical problem solving. The only thing you're thinking about is how you're going to move. And if you're a good climber, you're thinking about how to use your body as a tool and not, you know, let it work against you. So to me, that was always interesting. Being a physiologist, I always wanted to understand, you know, how can I not be the strongest human, but how can I learn how to climb more technically savvy and get better that way? That's an, that's a great mindset. Yeah. I was like, I'm never going to be able to do 10,000 pull-ups, but I bet I can figure out how to use my body more efficiently. Let's go that route. That's cool. Do you bring that same mindset into mountain biking and all your technical riding? Um, yes and no. I think with riding my strength lies in my ability to just suffer and like get through things um 
I'm definitely not the most technical or strong rider there, but nine times out of 10, I feel like I have the mental and emotional willpower to just figure out how to get through something that's really scary or how to get through something that's very physically demanding. Yeah, I, I would agree with that just from what I <laughs> met of you. And with that, let's kick it off to a commercial break. Do you ever feel like marketing is a gross word and a gross thing and just scummy and like you need to take a shower after you talk about marketing? Yeah, that can be a common thing. You should check out wheeliecreative.com. Not only are they some of the most fun people to work with in the entire industry, they'll treat you right, they know what they're doing, and they're also just super creative geeks that measure everything. Their work is super good, they get results for their clients, and they understand the nuances of the outdoor industry. They're avid outdoors people, and so the crew at Wheelie Creative is able to position your brand for success in a way that is authentic, kind, fun, and in line with your company's values. WheelieCreative.com, check them out. But wait, you're thinking, Lisa, isn't that your company? Yes, it is. I'm a little bit biased because I do own Wheelie Creative, but you know what? I'm paying my employees to edit this podcast right now, so you get to listen to a commercial about it. And thank you very much to Iris for editing this podcast. Um, so now you're living and breathing bikes for Specialized. Um, so what does that look like for you? What's a normal day of work? as a field rep for Specialized look like? Um, I don't know that there is a normal day of work as a field rep. It's kind of, you're always chasing something and whether that's something you're working on with a shop, so helping them get ready for a weekend full of events or you're helping them book an order to prepare for the next couple of months of business or we're running a promotion or like right now we're coming into a new model year. So I'll be talking to my accounts about what a transition plan looks for them as far as moving through older inventory, prepping for newer inventory, um, training their sales staff. So I do a ton of clinicking. Um, But a lot of it's just being present, quite honestly. Um, If a shop needs to get a hold of you or an employee needs to get a hold of you for a question and you're not available, they can call another vendor. So my end goal is to pretty much always be a part of my retailer's business in a way that is a business partner. And that means I wear many, many hats. Yeah. The reps are so important to the industry and like making sure those shop kids are getting people stoked on bikes. And, um, I think that's really a lot of the heart and the core of the bike industry. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. Um, it's amazing. I think sometimes people neglect to realize how influential having, uh, employee buy-in is, you know, if they're excited about you and they're familiar with you and they can call back, you know, yeah, not only does Specialized make great products, but the humans that I know at that company do great things. You know, it it's more than, than just this product. It's not just a means to an end sort of thing. It's kind of like there's a whole company that they can associate a product with. Yeah. 
What's your, what's your trick for like teaching people who are new to the bike industry? Like someone who just started working in a bike shop, what do you kind of, how do you start with them when you're like explaining the components? Do you start really technically or do you kind of like do a big picture or what's your plan of attack for somebody that is just working in shops for the first time? Yeah. And that's a super good question. Cause I feel like we're always consistently trying to figure out how to be better at that. And what I realize is when it comes to product education, nine times out of 10, people are going to remember like three important features of something. And so you're better off hitting things that you want them to remember to translate to a consumer because the vast majority of consumers don't really care about the nitty gritty details. They want to know why the product is going to supply them with a performance benefit and whether that's a performance benefit in spin class or a performance benefit in a hundred mile road race. At the end of the day, the technical nitty gritty is super cool and it's incredibly important, but you want to be able to translate that in a way that's actually meaningful for either your sales staff or your, your end consumer. So I start with that. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up working in bike shops and I remember that on my very first day of work, I just got thrown onto the floor to like try to sell bikes. And I was like 18 and I didn't know anything about bikes. Uh-huh. And I sold a bike that very first day. It's so embarrassing. This guy got on a, it was a specialized hard rock for like $500 or something. Yep. And, uh, I was like, Oh, you look really hot on that bike. <laughs> and he bought it really <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i i you flirted your way to a sale yeah and i like never lived that down at that shop for years they just made fun of me for that um because yeah but i didn't know what to say so i think i think training which is like stressful for the you know being in that position but also just doesn't really do anyone any good <laughs> no I'm I'm like one of the few people that if like I legitimately don't know something, I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you here. <laughs> like I'm yeah. never going to try and fake my way through anything because you're going to get caught. <laughs> yeah, totally. I didn't, I didn't even know what to say about a bike. <laughs> but sometimes you're better off just being like, I don't know, man, but that bike's on trend and you look hot on it. So give me your money. <laughs> And he needed a bike, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> That's so funny, though. And then, yeah, I I, enjoy, I always enjoyed clinics, though. They were they were really fun, and um, you know, just having somebody in your same city that could like help answer questions. So I think reps are incredibly important to the industry. Like so, so, so important. I agree. I'd like to stay employed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your uh, what's your favorite thing about working in the bike industry? Um, honestly, I th I think my favorite thing is just the relationships that you build and you make. Like for the fact that I've been in the bike industry, um, it'll be four years in November that I've been working for Specialized, and just the amazing humans that I've met and the trips that I've been able to take. And the places that my bike has physically transported me is pretty unreal. And the fact that I know that at this point I could go to just about any place 
And whether I have a direct connection to a specialized retailer in that area, like I can indirectly go there, reach out to the rep, reach out to a shop. And it's kind of this giant family. It's really, it's just a very good feeling. Um, and so to me, I think that's, I think it's the outdoor industry as a whole, but for me, you know, cause the bike is my activity is even more amazing to me to know that like I could show up in Cleveland and probably go out for a ride with somebody just by saying like, Hey, I'm here. This is what I do for work. Somebody want to take me on a bike ride? And they'd be like, yes. Yeah. And they'd be like, how many miles do you want to go? And like, are we going to stop for a beer along the way or after? And that's pretty awesome to me. (laughs) And can we turn your truck into a swimming pool? Yeah. And I'd be like, if the truck is there, then yes, we will. We can turn it into a pool. If it's not there, we will rent a truck from U-Haul or somebody and we'll turn that into a pool. And now time for another commercial break. Are you a woman with a camera who wants to up her photography skills in the outdoor industry? Sign up for a workshop at wheelhouseworkshops.com. These are creative action sports workshops designed for women by women to help support women in action sports. There aren't very many women in action sports photography. So these workshops are created with the intent of helping elevate women in the creative outdoor action sports space. What that means is one day of on snow, shooting professional female athletes and learning from the best lady photographers in the business, followed by a day of post-production and an art show showing your best work. It's super fun, it's awesome. The next one is going to be in Jackson Hole. Stay tuned, you can sign up for more information and to get notified about the next event at wheelhouseworkshops.com. What's your like, you know, working in the industry and talking to people about bikes all the time, um, what barriers do you see that people have when they are trying to get into cycling or they're trying to like, you know, level up where they're at in cycling? Like what, what kind of barriers are you seeing and how do you help people get past those? Um, so I think those are two different barriers. So I would say barrier one is how do I get into the sport? And do I have to wear, like, wear that weird Lycra stuff and a chamois? And then barrier two is, I've been doing this for a while. How do I get better? Do I need a better bike? What gear should I buy? Um, And so barrier one, I think sometimes we get in our own way a little bit um, with this sort of you have to be a cookie cutter mountain biker or roadie or whatever. And realistically, it's like, no, if you want to ride a bike, like you should just ride a bike. Um, I would highly encourage you to buy a little bit nicer bike out of the gate so that in six months from now, you're not having to replace parts on it or you're not bummed out that it weighs 
95 pounds and you're just trying to ride on like a river path trail with your friends. Um, and so I think a little bit just accessibility to the industry. And what I mean by that is, you know, brands like Specialized, Giant, Trek, Cannondale, whoever are really good at putting out this very aspirational high level, like racer type image. And we've recently started to transition. All brands really have started to transition to being much more accessible to, you know, the mom who does spin and wants to get outside on a bike for the first time. Um, and I think just making good products that aren't, you know, outrageously expensive, but that people really enjoy using, like we're overcoming that barrier. Um, but I also think making it more of like a mainstream activity, you know, where people are not so much interested in being specialists at like one thing, but they want to go paddleboard this weekend. And then next weekend, maybe they're going to go wine taste by bike. And then the next weekend they're going to do CrossFit. And, you know, I think making the community of cycling a little bit more accessible in a way that's not like, Oh, well, here's a group ride. Do you want to go a thousand miles an hour? Do you want to go a hundred miles an hour? Or do you want to go 50 miles an hour? And just being like, no, here's a group ride. We're going to go like 10 miles. It's going to be super casual. We're going to have nine coffees along the way <laughs> and four pastries and we're going to talk and we're going to like, you know, we're going to show you how to live by bike and how to do these things by bike. Um, I think that helps overcome barrier one. That was a really roundabout way to answer that. I apologize. Um, and then barrier two is the like, I've been riding for a while. I want to show up to these faster group rides, but I don't want to not belong to the group or I don't want to not have the right gear. Um, and I think a little bit of that is um, being willing to ask people. I, it's funny to me just how unwilling people are to be like, okay, I like kind of know how to do this activity, but I'd kind of like to know how to do it better. And just asking people very direct questions of like, you know, I can ride 35 miles by myself at a pace of this, you know, do you think it's worthwhile trying a little bit faster group and, going out and being willing to like suck at something like you're not going to get better until you ask questions that maybe make you feel dumb or go out and do an activity that really challenges you. Like when I transitioned kind of from being what I would call like a more casual roadie to a more serious roadie, I legitimately could not hold on to a group ride for like more than 20 minutes. And so every week, or every, you know, lunch ride or whatever, I would just try and go a little bit further. And I think being willing to put in the work to figure out how to progress and like not feeling like, oh, I'm going to go to this group ride. Maybe I don't have all the same cool stuff that everybody else has, but you know what? I'm going to hold on for 15 minutes this week. And if you make it past 15 minutes being like, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on for 30 minutes. And then if you get popped at 30 minutes, it's like, show up next week. How long are you going to hold on for? 35. Like, I think sometimes people just, yeah, want to know how to do everything and be immediately good 
or immediately comfortable. And I think that's a big barrier to cycling is it's like, you got a lot of moving parts literally and figuratively, and you have to be patient and know that like, it's going to be a little bit of a process getting, getting it all figured out. I love how you kind of centered that around milestones and being able to like, you know, come every week and try to be, you know, be your progression from the previous week. And like, that makes it easier and attainable and that's a that's a great way to look at it. Well, yeah, and I think like I did I went out. I literally have like not ridden hardly anything this year. This is the least mileage and time-wise I've spent on a bike probably in the 5 years that I've been riding and I went out and I did uh we had Tulsa Tough just recently out in Tulsa, Oklahoma and I went out with the team director of one of the elite teams that I work with in Austin Wolfpack. And her and I did the 66 mile Fondo. And I was like, I knew going into it, I'm like old ego side of me was looking at it like, oh, this is cake. And then me that knows where I currently am physically was like, after about mile 45, you're going to want to just quit. And she, you know, she and I getting ready at the start line, we're talking about that and she was like, well, this is, you know, actually why I have this tattoo. And she has this little elephant tattoo on her forearm. And she's like, my mom told me, you know, it's like eating an elephant. You can't look at the whole thing and think, wow, I'm going to eat that elephant in one sitting. You have to do it piece by piece and look at it as like, okay, we're going to get through this 10 miles and then we're going to get through this 10 miles. And I'm like, you know what? You're totally right. And that's the thing that I constantly tell people. Sometimes I need to listen to my own advice. And to me, I think that's... yeah a good way to break the barriers of getting into the sport is taking it milestone by milestone. So on the other side of that coin, what's your advice to someone who wants to work in the industry for the first time and they just don't know how to get into working as a career in the industry? Oh my gosh. Um, Half of it, I feel like it's just persistence. Like at least with getting in with specialized to me, it was like, I reached out to the field rep that was for the area that I lived. And I was just like, hey, can I ask you some questions about the company? And, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, sure. That's no problem. And I submitted an application with them. Didn't hear anything. So then I like called their HR department and I was like, yo, did you get my application? And they're like, yeah, along with 10,000 other people. And I was like, hey, cool. Uh, so are we going to go anywhere with it? And they're like, yeah, we'll contact you. And so it was like kind of this, I would just check in every week. And then finally, I think it was like two months later, I got a phone call that was like, Hey, we want to fly you out for an interview. And, um, and it was just really being persistent. And the thing that I tell people when I meet them is like, if you're really serious about it, don't hesitate to send me an email and ask me questions about the company or the job or to get you in contact with somebody that's in the department that you want to work or whatever. And you'd be amazed at how many people, one, don't do that, or two, think that it's like weird or inappropriate in any way. And I'm like, it's really not. Like you're trying to get ahead, you're interested in the company, you're interested in the brand, you want to get into the industry, like you should be willing to do 
anything and everything. And then the people that do actually follow up or reach out and get put in contact, it's like they get they get through to like who they need to talk to pretty quick and whether or not they end up getting hired is another thing. But I think the industry tends to work a lot on just recommendations and people being willing to like consistently follow up. So I think the best piece of advice that I would give as far as getting into the industry is like meet everyone and anyone that you can. You never know what connection can get you synced up with who. And if somebody offers like, Hey, if you have questions, please contact me, contact that person because it'll end up going, it'll end up potentially going a long way. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for being here on the podcast and, uh, happy, happy writing. Thanks. You too. I would thank you for being here, but you brought me here. Right. Thanks so much to Victoria for being on the podcast. And you can follow Victoria on Instagram. She's at Real Life Meatball. That's right. Real Life Meatball. Give her a follow. Tune in next week when I am talking to Abby Cooper. She's a professional photographer, writer, media strategist, and athlete for Arcteryx, Smith, Karakorum, and G3. Uh, She's a powerhouse and just one of my favorite creatives. So tune in next week for that. And here is a preview. I don't know what it was growing up. The word goals was just like so ugly. I hated it when, you know, you're in school and maybe your teacher would be like, okay, what kind of goals do you want to work on? And you'd be like, what? I don't want to do that. That's like a laundry list of like chores or something. I don't know. But now I'm addicted to making goals. They're so much fun and so exciting, especially if they are like, you know, a yearly or even like six months, three years. Yeah, it's so fun. It's kind of reminded me to experiment, you know? in life, we kind of choose a career path and we just keep rolling with it. It's like we took one big chance this one time in a career that we wanted to pursue and then that's it. We just stick with it. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's still so much personal growth to be had and so many experiments to do and industries to try. And I think that's a huge part of it.